This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. When you want the best, you have to act fast, especially when hiring for your business. You want to find the most talented people before the competition scoops them up. And the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds top talent fast. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Spotify. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Garden Favourites with me, Alan Titchmarsh. This is a brand new series of podcasts about, well, some of my favourite things in the garden. Simple. Does what it says on the watering can, as they say. You see, every gardener gardens differently. We all have our favourite plants, places to visit, and tools that we think are vital, indispensable and the key to success in those essential garden jobs. We all have our reasons for our personal choices and we love to share. Well, maybe not the tools. In this series, I'm going to share some of my favourite things with you. Not kittens, whiskers or string, but the plants I love, my horticultural holiday destinations and some of the books and objects that have become dear to me through my gardening years. I think and hope that nowadays every gardener is a wildlife gardener. I mean, they're a part of our lives, all these little things that fly, flutter, crawl or swim, and they have every right to be in our gardens, every bit as much as we do. I joined something called the Wharfdale Naturalists Society when I was eight, up in Yorkshire. That's naturalists, you understand, not naturists. There aren't many of them in Yorkshire. It's a bit drafty. So I've been a naturalist since I was about eight. I'm still a member, probably their longest surviving one now. So for me, wildlife and gardens go together as naturally as rhubarb and custard. And growing plants in the garden, which are particularly favoured by wildlife, seems to me to be the sensible thing to do. 
I'm an organic gardener. I don't spray with anything. The only fertiliser I use is blood, bone and fish meal. And other than that, the predators start to help me to control things like green fly and white fly. I just have to learn to live with a little bit of it all the time. When I'm looking for plants that are particularly good for wildlife, there's one in particular that comes to mind for most of us when it concerns butterflies. It, after all, its common name is the butterfly bush. Why? Well, with any luck on a sunny summer's day, you'll see its long spikes of pointed flowers absolutely awash with small tortoise shells and peacocks and red admirals. It is, of course, the Bodleia. Budlia davidii is the main one, which has these long-pointed clusters of flowers. They smell quite sweet if you go close. The great thing about those flowers is that they are chock-full of nectar, and that's why the butterflies come. They come to sip the nectar. It is what a friend of mine used to call the pub on the corner, the Budlia, when it comes to planting up your beds and borders. The great thing about Budlia is it's incredibly easy to grow, it was one of the first colonisers of the London bomb sites during the war and you can still see it to this day growing in waste ground where its seeds have been blown. It seems to cope with almost any soil and condition, even the most impoverished of earth will support it. And it's easy to grow in terms of pruning as well because all you need to do with the buddleia is to chop it really hard back every March. And when I say hard back, I mean down to at least waist height. That way, when the new shoots come, as surely they will in April and May, up oh, they'll come to flower on that brand new wood, and then they'll be flowering at a height where you can admire them, rather than letting the bush grow and grow and grow so that the flowers are out of sight and the bush becomes spindly and lacklustre. Prune it hard every March and you'll get loads of flowers. So that for me is what makes the Bodleia not just the pub on the corner for butterflies, but a valuable contribution to my wildlife garden. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cashback rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. 
That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. When it comes to late summer flowers in your wildlife garden, you're still looking for plants which will offer nectar and pollen to bees as well. And Caryopteris, that glorious little shrub, I say a little, it grows about waist height, not usually much more. It's got greyish leaves and its flowers are fluffy and blue. There's one called Caryopteris clandonensis Q blue. You can tell where it came from. No, it wasn't Wisley. It's a lovely plant. As I say, not too large for any garden. And the fact that those flowers are so blue that they're shown off well against the greyish foliage and that they come in late summer when a lot of other things are finished make it a really valuable plant for the garden. Butterflies will hop all over it, but so too will bees. And we're very conscious nowadays of making sure that our wild species of bees, as well as the honeybees that provide us with the honey, are surviving. I had a friend come and do a little bee count in my garden some time ago, and she got up to seven different species of bumblebee. It made me feel incredibly proud. But then she told me I'd still got a few more to go if I wanted to be absolutely a bee gardener. So I keep on trying, and I think next summer I shall haul her back in and say, um, can we see if I've got more than seven now? And by planting Caryopteris, something like Q Blue, there are several varieties, you'll be doing your bit for the butterflies and the bees. There is one climbing plant in the garden which takes an awful lot of flack. People worry about ivy when it climbs up into trees or when it starts to romp up the wall of their house. I can see why. Ivy is so fast-moving, you seem to turn your back and, oh, it's shot up again. As long as it doesn't get into the head of branches on a tree... If it stays attached to the trunk and doesn't go much further, it's doing no harm at all. It's only when it starts to get arborescent, it stops producing those aerial roots, which are not parasitic, they just cling on, they don't take sustenance out of a tree. It's only when it starts getting woody in the top and stops climbing that it starts to get really thick, and its weight then can topple fruit trees which haven't got particularly strong root systems. So you're wise to keep ivy from getting too rampant up in the head of a tree. But other than that, on walls, on sheds, for masking eyesores... Well, what has it got, Alan? It's just got evergreen leaves. Well, that's a start, isn't it? Because it's there to look at all year round. Do you know, I spoke to a friend the other day, Matt Pottinger, who's at Wisley, he's just taken on the National Collection of Ivies. I said, how many have you got? He said, 250. And he took me and showed me some of these wonderfully different varieties, different leaf forms, leaf shapes, variegations. They were fascinating. Why, you ask, am I including it in my list of plants for wildlife? Oh, it's very valuable, Ivy. It's a good roosting site for tiny little birds like the wren. It's also got rather a strange anomaly attached to it. The holly blue butterfly will sometimes lay its eggs on ivy. 
Isn't that nice? You see, it's not just the Christmas carol, the holly and the ivy. It's the holly blue and the ivy. So before you spurn ivy and start ripping it out of your garden, think about getting brightly variegated forms in, but also of the good it can do for butterflies and for roosting birds. Without our gardens, and that older ivy, remember, also produces blackberries that the birds can eat. Well, without it, our gardens would be a poorer place. If you're looking for a plant in your wildlife garden, which is obviously going to be good for bees and butterflies and all manner of insects, but you want it to look good too, and you want it to, to smell nice, to be aromatic, look no further than lavender. It is such a useful sub-shrub, low-growing, not much more than knee-height, unless you grow Hidcut Giant, and that one tends to topple a bit. So grow plain Hidcut, and you'll find it shorter, or Munstead, similarly. It produces its little spires of lavender-blue flowers atop its grey domes of foliage. In early to midsummer, it's lovely. You can snip the flowers off if you want, and make lavender bags to um, <clears throat> fragrance your smalls. Enough of the private life, Alan. But it's a beautiful plant for attracting bees. It'll be awash with them in summer. You'll hear them. You'll walk through a row of lavender and just hear that gentle hum as you do so. It's extraordinarily good for edging pathways. It demands full sun and well-drained soil, but if you use it for edging your pathways, you'll find that as you brush past the foliage, you'll get that glorious aroma rising up to meet your nostrils. Oh, and squeeze the foliage and tell me what the smell reminds you of. For me, it's those mentholyptus sweets. But this is lavender, I know. But the foliage, whenever it's crushed, always reminds me of mentholyptus. So if you want a path edger for a sunny spot that is wonderfully wildlife friendly, you'll have a job to do better than lavender. Many years ago, when I wasn't even knee-high to a grasshopper, my granddad would take me on his Yorkshire allotment down by the river wharf at Ilkley. He grew savoy cabbages that were sprayed regularly with soot water to stop the caterpillars attacking. It made my grandmother's life a misery. She had to wash all the soot off before we ate them. But he also grew a few flowers, which I thought was rather sweet for a, a hardy Yorkshireman. Picture him, my granddad. We're talking about the 1950s. He had a black trilby, a walrus moustache, a black waistcoat. His white collarless shirt was rolled up to the elbows and he's had a, a gold stud where his collar ought to be. And he's holding my hand, taking me up through his sweet peas. But what he also had on that allotment, apart from sweet peas for Granny, were sweet Williams and scabious. And I've loved scabious ever since. Not just because my granddad had it on his allotment, but also because it's lovely for wildlife. Bees and butterflies love it. It's a glorious flower, the scabious. Large, palest sky blue, with that rather confused white centre that's full of pollen and nectar for butterflies and bees to feed on. It's a great cut flower, which is why granddad grew it. And those lovely pale blue or white flowers will really attract the wildlife. There are smaller flowered varieties now, which carry on blooming right the way through the summer. And if I tell you that the name of one of them is Butterfly Blue, you'll see you don't just have to take my word for it. 
Grow butterfly blue and its compatriots are quite small, at the front of a sunny border. The taller ones, going a bit further back, like the old varieties such as Clive Greaves, well, they don't need to come right to the front because they won't flower endlessly through the summer. And in a wild flower meadow, the wild scabious is one of the great treats of summer. So you see, there's a scabious for every single part of the garden, including the bit that you let go wild. When I started at Kew Gardens as a student in the September of 1969, I know, I'm very old, but when I started there, there was one flower that was in bloom at the beginning of September, which is when our student course started, and it was the Japanese anemone, anemone japonica, with its wide open saucer-shaped flowers of either pale pink or white. There are various varieties with pale pink, darker pink or white flowers and there's a new one called white swan which flowers right the way through the summer but for me those that come in late summer and early autumn are a landmark in the gardener's year they sort of warn you that um, the summer's just about at its end and as you get older they seem to flower earlier and earlier each year they are incredibly good for wildlife, for butterflies, for bees, for all manner of insects, mainly on account of that glorious pollen that's around the central boss in the middle of the flower and covering the anthers. Now, you'll find the Japanese anemone is sometimes a bit tricky to establish. It can sulk for a year or two, but once it's away, it's well and truly away, and it doesn't need much in the way of division. It'll sit for several years before you need to dig it up and divided. So if your garden seems to spend itself by the middle of summer and you want to extend the season, just think about getting some Japanese anemones because they, above anything, will see you on into the autumn and they'll see you wildlife on too. If you're looking for a plant which will give you flowers early on in the year to attract wildlife, bees in particular, because it'll probably bloom before the butterflies take flight. Think about Mahonia japonica. It's a thorny... Well, I say thorny, it's actually its leaves that have spikes on the end of them. And they make great rosettes atop stems which can be taller than a man, as they used to say, or a woman. If you prune them quite regularly, you can keep them lower and that way you'll enjoy the flowers much more. What happens at the centre of this rosette of almost holly-like leaves that are carried in pinnate fashion, that's one long stem with lots of leaflets coming off either side, there's an absolute fountain of flower which erupts in the middle in late winter and early spring. They're, they're long tassels, really, of bright yellow flowers, gloriously scented. Can I suggest that you go really close up to them and take an absolutely microscopic view of those tiny flowers that are on that flower stalk? Each one of them is exactly like a daffodil. Odd, isn't it? When you look at a flower from a distance, it's a long tassel. Look at it close up and each individual floret, just like a bright yellow daffodil. It's a useful shrub in that it's not fussy about where it grows. It likes sun, but it'll take a bit of shade. It'll grow in almost any soil. But the great thing about Mahonia japonica, apart from its willingness to oblige, is that it gives an early drink or an early bite 
to the insects and the bees that are around at that time of year when everything else is still thinking about waking up. Good to be kind to wildlife. They give us so much. Nice to give them a bit back. That's it from me, Alan Titchmarsh. Till the next time, whatever the weather, enjoy your garden. Garden Favourites was presented by me, Alan Titchmarsh. The producer is Lucy Ditchmont. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. And you can find out more about the themes we've covered today at gardenersworld.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or Acast to never miss an episode. See you next time.